Welcome to the Renaissance Christian Church Podcast. We're a church family with the mission of seeking God, serving others, and sharing the gospel. We're grateful that you have joined us as we study through the Bible, and we hope that it brings you encouragement and inspiration for your daily life. Here's Pastor Robert Fonseca. Good morning again, everyone, and good morning. I don't know if I welcomed all those online watching us, um, but welcome. I'm glad you joined us, and uh, it's just honestly it's so good to be back preaching uh, live to you guys that are here. Um, glad you joined us this morning. Well, this morning, as you know, it's Father's Day, and so we're going to have a Father's Day message. And the biggest thing I could think about fathers um, are that they love to give advice. And if you're a father, uh, you know that if you didn't know that you do that, you do just ask your children. Children will say, yes, my dad is always giving me advice. So why do we do that? Why do we as fathers like to give advice? Well, just speaking from my own perspective, I would say we give advice. So I'm speaking to my three children who are here this morning, Alyssa, Josiah, Jonathan. So as I give this sermon, I am speaking in in a way directly to you guys too. Um, So I'll quiz you on the way home to see if you're paying attention. But why do we give advice? Fathers, we give advice, um, I'd say primarily for my sake, is that I want to pass along some experience that I've been through, both achievements and failures, you know, the good and the bad, things to help our children or my children in particular to avoid, right? I hope that they will avoid the same mistakes that I partook in as a child or even as a teenager, and even as a young adult, right? It doesn't really matter your age. Fathers will still give you advice even, uh, you know, as long as they're here, they're going to be given advice, and I'm sure I will too. But again, we do that because we want you to avoid uh, certain things. We want you to do better than we did, that we've learned, we've gained some experience over our life, and we just want to help you be successful, to meet the challenges that you come up, that you're going to come up against in life. And although times are different, scenery is different, technology is way different than when I was a child, uh, the problems are exactly the same. They're just different. And so we as fathers, we're like a compass, so to speak. Think of a compass. You know, a compass points you in the direction, you know, it tells tells you different directions, north, south, east and west, and depending on where you're going, it will help you get there. Well, a father is like a compass trying to point his child in the right direction. And sometimes that advice at first may seem strange because you haven't seen how it is relevant yet in your life. But I know a lot of times now that my dad has passed, I'm like, well, he really knew what he was talking about. All those years I thought, you know, it's different times, dad. Things are different. Uh, he was right all the time. So even though it may seem strange that dad might give you some advice that uh, doesn't seem right, just know that you will need it. Just put that in your back pocket for later. But sometimes advice we give is, is right on point, and hopefully it achieves all that we would like it to do. So this morning, I want to look at a text in the book of Proverbs. So open up your Bibles with me this morning, or your phones, if you have a Bible app. Uh, to Proverbs chapter 3. 
And in Proverbs chapter 3, this is, the book of Proverbs in general, for the most part, is advice given to uh, not just one son, but many sons in the nation of Israel. And Proverbs, uh, according to one commentator, it's where I got my compass analogy from, said that Proverbs was written for young people as a compass by which to steer their ship of life. So again, these are principles to get you in the right direction. And as we read through these, know that just because it says if you do A, that B is going to happen, it doesn't always happen like that. These are general principles that may or may not come true, but they're to steer you in the right direction. And again, I would ask this morning as we look at the text, look at it as a compass for our own life from the Heavenly Father that we sung about this morning. Again, this text is a compass by which to steer the ship of your life. Now, maybe you find yourself heading in the wrong direction or off course or even stranded or on a rock near an island that you've hit in your life. Again, this, I pray this morning that the text, as God speaks through it, will help you get your ship back on course. And in doing so, I know you will find that there is a great blessing amongst the winds and the waves of this life, and we will arrive, if you follow the Lord, we will arrive at the heavenly destination as promised. So with that said, let's look at the text, and right away I'm going to give you the outline of this morning's sermon, because the text is going to give us six points of advice. And as I said to my children earlier, if I was to give you advice, these six things would also be true. Uh, So here they are real quick. Number one, fatherly advice. Live out the commandments of God with your entire being. And we're going to go through these one by one uh, in a moment, but I'm going to give them up front. Live out the commandments of God with your entire being. Number two, be kind and faithful in your life. Be kind and faithful in your life. Number three, trust in the Lord with your entire being. Trust in the Lord with your entire being. Number four, fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Number five, worship the Lord with your resources. Worship the Lord with your resources. And number six, accept the correction of the Lord. Accept the correction of the Lord. Of your Lord. So now let's go in. This is what I'm going to cover. And, and honestly, as I went through this, I thought, man, each of these could be a week of sermons. And so I'm hoping to finish up um, shortly because we have some lasagna waiting for us for Father's Day, I heard. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, anyways, so we're going to look at these six things in the text and we'll go through them one by one. And as I go through them, we're going to say, what does it mean? How does the the it's actually King Solomon that wrote this one. How does King Solomon suggest that we follow this advice? And in each and every one of these six pieces of advice, there's a reward for following them. So what do they mean? How do, how do we follow them? And what's the reward? And so let's just read verses 1 through 2. And this is going to be the first one. Live out the commandments of God with your entire being. Scripture says this, My son, take a seat, the, the Solomon speaking to his, his son, My son, do not forget my teaching, 
But let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. So right away, number one, his number one piece of advice for his son. And again, take this as for all of us from God saying, don't forget my teachings or live out the commandments of God with your entire being. That's what he's saying here. At the very beginning, he says, don't do not forget my teaching. And it might seem very simple, but what does he mean by that? What is he saying? Well, the word forget means to uh, to cut oneself off or to walk away. So it's not just forgetting it. It's actually literally walking away or cutting yourself off from that piece of advice or from the father's teaching, which is his second word. So don't cut yourself off. Don't walk away from my teaching and his teaching are all of his teachings here contained in the book of Proverbs, not just in this one little section, but all the sound advice the father gives him as a child. And again, his teachings uh, are built on the foundation of scripture. So he's actually saying, follow the laws of God. So when the father here, here speaks to his child, he's saying, the, the advice that I give you, and that's just, it's not just practical advice, but it's godly advice. And that's the best kind of advice we could give as fathers, is give godly advice, even practical advice, rooted in the principles of Scripture. So he's telling his son, don't forget my teachings. So how does he suggest that he does it? How does he stop from forgetting what he's told? Well, that's found at the second part of verse 1. He says, but let your heart keep my commandments. Let your heart keep my commandments. And when Scripture speaks of the heart, it's really talking of your entire being. It's the uh, biblical anthropology, the heart, when, when we're speaking in bi- biblical terms, the heart is referred to as the seat of emotions, of our thoughts, and of our spiritual functions. Again, the heart symbolizes our entire being, physical, emotional, and spiritual. And you see this highlighted in Matthew chapter 15. Turn there with me or follow along. In Matthew 15, Jesus speaking uh, specifically in verses 18 and 20, and he's explaining a parable to the apostle Peter about uh, cleanliness, religious cleanliness, or how to be religiously clean. And he concludes in verse 18, he says this, but the, things, but the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. You see, it's not that you ate with unwashed hands, which is what he was arguing against, or religious purity. It's really what's deep down inside of your heart. Again, he says, but the things proceed out of your mouth come from the heart. And those things defile a man because it's your entire being, right? He says, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and slanders. These are the things that defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. And then the point being there is that Jesus was identifying that it's the heart, the seat of emotion, our, our thoughts, that, that bad things come from. Our heart is our entire being here, again, in biblical anthropology. 
So when the father here back in Proverbs tells his son, don't you know, let your heart, let your entire being keep my commandments, your emotion, your, your spiritual, your physicalness, all of you keep my beings. And when he says keep, that doesn't or keep my commandments. When he says keep, it doesn't mean I'm, I'm holding God's commandments and I'm putting them over here safe so they're not lost. No, he's saying when he says keep, he means living them out. Keep them by living them out. That's the implication. He says, your, my teaching should be on your heart so much that you live them out, that they spring from your heart because you know them so well. Right? Again, it's not we're locking them away, but our entire being is we're living out the commandments of our Father. That's the point that Solomon is saying to his son. And again, that's why I say, therefore, live out the commandments of God with our entire being. And that would be Solomon's advice, and that's my advice to my own children. If they, if they could remember that, live out the commandments of God with your entire being. And for all of us, as God's children, we need to live out the commandments of God with our entire being. And as I mentioned earlier, there is a reward for doing so. Look at verse 2 in the text. So after he tells you what to do and how to do it, he says, for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Why does he encourage his child to do this? He says, because the result will be is that length of days, years of life, and peace. Now, long life in the Old Testament was, was a reward for doing what is right. Now, does that mean that if I do everything right, I'm going to live for a long time? No, again, these are principles. These are principles. Jesus himself, the most perfect man in the world, didn't live past 35. They believe he was about 33, year old, 33 years old when he passed away. So you can't say, you know what, if you do what's right, you're going to have a long life and there's going to be years added to you. Again, it's the principle. If you do the right things, you're more likely to live longer, right? If we eat healthy and exercise, you know, we're probably going to live longer, but there's no guarantees for that. And even so, if you follow God's commandments and do all that is right, that doesn't guarantee that you're going to have a long life. The point being is that in, in the wisdom literature like Psalms, and Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes, and Job, there's a contrast with the wicked who are said to be cut off and the righteous who will live forever. So there's an eternal aspect to this promise because the, the wicked person will eventually be cut off. When they die, they will be uh, sent out of the presence of God for all eternity, but the righteous person will go on and live forever so in reality, length of days and years of life will be added to you. That's just one aspect of it. The other aspect of following uh, his father's commands is that peace will be added to you. Does that mean nothing bad will ever happen in your life? No, but what he's saying here is that you will have inner contentment within your life. As you're doing what is right, you will know inside that you're right with God. You will have peace with God. You will have a clear conscience as opposed to those who are always behaving wickedly. They're always looking over their back, wondering if they're going to get caught. They don't know if there's a knock at the door who it is because they don't have a clear conscience. But if you follow the Lord's advice, you live out the commandments of God with your entire being, you have an inner contentment no matter what happens. 
even in the midst of a storm and of a trial, you know that God's in control. And these three things, length of days, years of life, and peace, these really highlight God's covenant blessings on his people. They signify God's favor, God's fellowship, and those who follow the Father's commandments will eventually experience eternal life and eternal peace with their Father. And so that's the first bit of advice from Solomon. The second one is this, found in verse 3 and 4. Let's read it. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. So the second bit of advice here is to be kind and faithful in your life. Be kind and faithful in your life. That's what he's saying. Don't let kindness and truth leave you. What does he mean? Well, kindness really just means to be kind. He's saying be kind, be loving, be merciful, be a nice person out there in the world. This is just practical advice from the Father. How many of us have told our children, be good, be nice, be kind to other people, right? Treat people the way you want to be treated. That's just practical advice that our world would do well in heeding. Not only that, he says, be, he says, truth, let kindness and truth never leave you. What does he mean by truth? Well, the real root word of that is faithfulness, meaning be true to what you say. Be someone that can be counted upon. Be faithful. And that's why I said be kind and faithful in your life. How does he suggest that we follow this? Well, similar to the last one, he says, bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Basically, don't let these leave you. Just like a necklace that we wear, that's, that we show, he's saying, let these things be shown in your life. Wear them around your neck. Let truth and kindness, or kindness and faithfulness be evident in your life. Bind them around your neck so that they never leave. And then again, write them on the tablet of your heart, he says. Let them be on your entire being, on your very soul, so that you don't forget. Because out of our heart, as Jesus says, is where everything comes from. It's what's on the inside is eventually going to come out. Whatever we're feeding ourselves, that will come out. So if we're feeding ourselves with kindness and truth, and we really mean it from the inside, it's going to come out. So that's why he tells his son, write them on the tablet of your heart. Again, let kindness and faithfulness always be exhibited in your life. And what were the results of that? He says in verse 4. The results will be this. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Again, this is just real practical advice. He's saying, hey, be a nice person. Be, be loyal. Be truthful. Mean what you say. Do what you say you're going to do. And guess what? You're going to have favor with God, and you're going to have a good reputation out in this world because you're going to be a person of integrity. When you say something, people believe you because they know you're going to do it, and you're a nice person. This is something uh, that was said about Jesus as he grew up. You know, we don't know much about Jesus after he was a young child. 
after uh, his parents found him in the temple in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, this is pretty much all that we know about Jesus' teenage years or until he comes back onto the scene in his 30s. It's this in Luke 2, 52. All it says is this, And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Exactly what Solomon is saying here to his son. You're going to have a good reputation with God and man. And this is something that I've often prayed for my children as they've been growing up, that they, in all that they do, that they would find favor with God and with the people in this world, that they would have a good reputation. And so again, that second bit of advice, bit of advice from the Father is to be kind and be faithful in the things that you do in this life. Number three is found in verses 5 and 6. And that's this, the third point, or the third bit of advice is trust in the Lord with your entire being. Trust in the Lord with your entire being. Look at what it says, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. What's being said here? Well, what does it mean? What does it mean when you say trust in the Lord? We hear that so often. Hey, trust God. Well, that really means to rely on God. Rely on the Lord, again, with all your heart, with your entire being. That's his advice. Everything mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, rely on God. This is exactly what Jesus said in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 38, in his response to the question, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? You remember this? He said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. Again, just relying with your entire being on the Lord, loving the Lord with all that you have. And how does Solomon suggest that his son does this? How does he trust in the Lord? With all his heart? Well, the suggestion can be found in the latter half of verse 5 and in verse 6. And it's this. Do not lean on your own understanding. Don't trust in your own abilities, in your own intellect, without getting counsel from God in the way that you live your life. Right? Our first inclination as human beings, because we're sinful, is probably the wrong response when something happens. We don't always have the right answer. So don't solely trust on your own understanding of the situation that is at hand or all that you're going through. He's saying, no, trust the Lord. Rely on the Lord. Don't just trust in your own understanding of the situation. Get some counsel. And not only that, he says, in all your ways, acknowledge Him, in verse 6. Acknowledging Him means to accept the Lord's right and authority over the entire course of your life. Acknowledge that God is the Lord of all. I'm acknowledging that and I'm submitting to that authority when I make decisions in my life so I don't respond and totally trust in myself. And that's hard for us to do, right? We don't always do the right thing in trusting God in a situation, relying on Him because we want to take it in our own hands. We can fix this. We don't want to wait in the, on the Lord's timing. And I would just say we need to pause before we make big decisions in life. 
Don't rely on your own understanding. Scripture over and over says that it's wise to get a, a lot of counsel on things. The gut reaction always, isn't always the right one. Don't always rely on your own abilities. We need to trust in the Lord. God has given us a, a, a lot of abilities in our own individual lives, and that's a good thing. It's not always bad, but just be careful. Take time. To, to acknowledge that the Lord is sovereign over you and submit to Him in the entire course of your life. And when you do that, what's going to be the result? Well, that's found in at the latter half of verse 6. He says, In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. He will make your paths straight. As you submit your life to the Lord and rely on His ways, God We'll see, uh, you will see more and more that God will lead you down the right path. Doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a straight path, right? We always want a straight path, get there the quickest. But scripture over and over tells us that God makes the, you know, he, it's the imagery. He makes mountains and brings them down low and makes smooth paths for his people. Even in the midst of chaos and torment, God is going to lead us down the right path. Sometimes it will be smooth, sometimes it won't. Sometimes we won't see beyond the hill, but we need to trust in Him and rely on Him. We need to rely that God is our compass and trust that He will get us to the destination that He desires as we rely on Him. I read a, a Portuguese proverb that says this, God writes straight in crooked lines. God writes straight in crooked lines. So even though it might look crooked to us, it's God's way that's, it's God that's going to make it straight. God sees it as a straight line because that's what he desires. We might see it as a crooked line or God uses things that might look crooked, but it's a straight line. We need to trust in the Lord with our entire being and not lean on our own understanding and acknowledge him in all our ways. The fourth bit of advice that's given, and that's found in verses 7 and 8, and that's fear the Lord. Look at what it says. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Here he's saying, fear the Lord. What does that mean? We hear that a lot. And we look at the word fear and we look at the Lord, at the word Lord separately. It kind of gives us a distorted understanding of what it means. It doesn't mean we have to be fearful and afraid of God as like somebody that's going to do harm to us, especially as his children. That's not what it's talking about. When we say fear the Lord, we're talking about an affectionate reverence for him. It's, I was trying to think of a good analogy, and hopefully this does justice to it. But for those of you that maybe love the ocean, like to go out swimming in the ocean, you understand that there's natural rules and laws that govern the sea, right? They're not good or bad. That's just, it is what it is. Right? The sea's not trying to be evil towards us. It's just, it's a neutral entity. Well, so, so what am I getting at? Well, sometimes there could be a, a rip current in the ocean, right? It's a natural phenomenon. And you're not supposed to swim when there's a rip current, right? When you, when you see a rip current, current and you go out swimming, it can drag you out to sea and kill you. So those of you that swim out in the ocean, you're careful of that. You understand that you fear that in a sense because you know what could happen. And so you swim in a different area, or you don't go swimming at that time. 
right? We're careful in what we do. Well, in this, you ha- again, you have a healthy fear of the ocean. You know what could happen, how powerful it is, right? And the point I'm trying to make with this is that in a similar way, but in a more immense and powerful way, we know God has set certain rules and laws in motion in society, and God acts in certain ways, and we should be fearful of that in a good way. Because if we do A, for example, and, and not follow the Lord, then we know that something's going to happen. He's so powerful. I mean, I think he created the heavens and the earth, and, and we're so minuscule in his sight. We should have a reverent fear of, wow, he's so awesome, and have a little bit of, of a trepidation when we're near him or think about him. But we also know that he's good. Right? He's not like the ocean that's neutral. No, God does all things for a purpose, and he is good. He's, again, he's the creator of the universe. He's the sustainer of the very life that we have in our lungs. He holds um, our very stature in his hands. That's how powerful he is. And we love him for this because he's like that, but we should also fear him for that reason as well. We love and fear him. They go hand in hand. There's, a, there's a, uh, a book, you may have heard it, written by C.S. Lewis called the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And if you, if you know that story or you don't, there's a, there's a scene there where the children, they go into uh, Narnia and they come across a beaver yeah, this is, who talks. And uh, they're going to meet Aslan, the lion. And Aslan, the lion, is supposed to be a representation of Jesus. Right? He's a lion. And in this scene, they ask uh, the beaver, is Aslan the lion, is he safe? Is he safe? You know, because he's a lion. It's a little scary. And the beaver says, of course not, but he's good. So that's the fear. I think that encapsulates the fear, Lord. Of course not. He's, he's, not, he's, he's not safe. He's, he's going to be afraid of him a little bit, but he's good, which means all that he does is going to be good. And he operates from love. And so this is what it means to fear the Lord. We fear him with an affectionate reverence. And so how does, the, uh, how does Solomon suggest to his son that you follow that advice? How do we follow that advice? How do we implement the fear of the Lord in our life? Well, again, in verse 7, he says, Don't, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Don't be prideful. Again, a prideful person doesn't fear the Lord. And in the right way, where somebody that is humble recognizes who God is and they fear him. They don't think they're smarter than God. They don't think they're wiser than Lord, but a prideful person tends to do that. They think they are the end all and be all and have the answers for all things. And they don't need to submit to God. They don't even need to fear the Lord. They don't need to seek his counsel or counsel from others. So in one sense, they're, they're prideful. He said, don't be prideful in your own eyes. Don't think you know, you're all that, so to speak. Secondly, turn from evil. It says, fear the Lord and turn from evil because somebody who has a healthy reverence for the Lord, a fearful reverence, is going to turn from doing what God doesn't want you to do. Again, to that rip current. If you fear the rip current, you're not going to go swimming in it. Those who don't fear it think they can go swim in it and eventually they get taken out to sea and can drown. 
So his advice to us here is to turn from evil. Since you hold, since the Lord holds you in his hands and you serve him, then you need to turn from doing what he calls evil. That shows that you fear the Lord. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 sums this point up perfectly. And this too was written by Solomon. At the very end of his book of Ecclesiastes, he writes this, the conclusion when all has been heard is fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person. I think that sums up this point perfectly. And when we fear the Lord, what is the reward for that in verse 8? It will be healing to your body and a refreshment to your bones. So again, does that mean if we follow the Lord, we're never going to get sick? We won't suffer from disease or anything? No, that's not what it's saying. That's not what it's saying at all. It's saying when we have a healthy fear and reverence for the Lord, we're going to experience a mental well-being within our own body. Again, we won't have this guilty conscience. We won't be in anguish over the decisions that we make or the lifestyle that we live. It's going to be like healing and refreshment to our bones because we're doing what is right. We're living for God. A person who is in rebellion against the Lord is really suffering deep down inside. Someone that has not submitted their life to God, they might not admit it, but deep down inside they're suffering. They may mask it with all kinds of things, even religion, you know, coming to church thinking, hey, that's going to make them feel better. But they haven't really experienced the forgiveness and love of the Lord. They may mask it with relationships, with traveling, with exercise, career, education, just fill in the blank, anything that can mask that deep down yearning of not submitting to the Lord. This is what it's talking about. The great thing for each and every one of us is that at the second coming, when God returns back for his church, we will literally experience the, the refreshment of our bones and the healing of our bodies. We will no longer wake up with aches and pains we will no longer be deficient in anything as we've read in Revelation over and over again because God will make all things new. And that's the ultimate fulfillment of this point. Let's move on to our fifth, our fifth piece of advice. In verses 9 through 10, it says, Honor the Lord from your wealth, from the first of all your produce, so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. So point number five is honor the Lord with your resources. Honor the Lord with your resources. The word honor means to place a high value, right? You as a follower of the Lord, you see the Lord as having the highest value in your life and you put him up on a pedestal. You're honoring him, lifting him up and you hold him up and you worship him by exalting him. When we sing to the Lord, we are lifting up his name, magnifying his name and lifting him up in reverence. For him. And Solomon is now telling his son, not only do you honor the Lord by worshiping him with your mouth, but he suggests that we follow, uh, we do it a different way as well, or do it another way as well. And he says, honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. What is he talking about here? It's more than just words, right? We, we, as believers, do more than just lip service to our God. 
But the picture is, is that somebody bringing in an offering to God and offering up their finances, their resources, the first fruits in the Old Testament, the, the harvest from their crops, they would bring and give it to the Lord in a form of worship. And so when he says from our wealth, again, it's more than just words, we honor God tangibly. God has provided for each and every one of us in our life And here Solomon is telling his son the way that you repay the Lord for that and so to speak, the way that we honor God is giving him back a portion of what he's given to us. The Lord again has provided for us and we as recipients of his monetary blessing, he expects us to worship him with our finances. That's why, I know it's a little different right now in church, there's a time of offering where we are offering God back a little bit of what He's given to us. And we as believers should recognize that the finances that we have is a blessing from God. And how dare we withhold some of that and not give it back to Him? Solomon's saying, hey, honor the Lord from your resources. Honor the Lord with your wealth. And the first fruits represent the very best of our crops. It's not like I'm going to see what money I have left over and I'm going to throw, you know, I'm going to give a, a little bit to God. No, you know, if you do a budget, the top line of our budget should be offering and we're giving it to the Lord. Whatever that is, we honor the Lord with our resources by giving back to Him. Right? And we're going to, we'll do that at the end of service. I'll, I'll talk about that because those of you that aren't here, you're like, well, how do I give? I'm not in church. Well, we, we've made that available by having giving online. And even though you come to church here, you can also do that. But it should be a thing of worship, a time of worship when we give back to the Lord. Right? And so, let me just say this. So what's the result of that? What's the result of giving back to the Lord like that? Well, look at verse 10. He says, so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. So is that saying if I give to the Lord, He's going to give back to me even more? Well, He can, but that's not a promise again, right? Uh, God, it's not like, um, uh, I was going to say, it's not like a slot machine, but a slot machine, you probably put in more money than you get out. It'd be like the reverse of that, all right? That's not what God is, right? God's not saying, and unfortunately we have, you know, some preachers have a a bad reputation is if you give one dollar to God, he's going to bless you with a hundred dollars. No, Scripture, that's not what it's saying here. What it's saying here is that God will continue to provide for you and God will bless you back when you bless him. And it may not result in financial security, you know, prosperity, but God will always provide for his children. God will always bless you back. You can't outgive the Lord. A matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8, this kind of gives us our mandate here as a New Testament church, as New Testament believers, about giving to the Lord. And I pray that each and every one of you that calls Renaissance Christian Church your home, that you would take this into consideration this morning. He says, now I say this, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he purposed in his heart, not grudgingly under compassion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 
And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. This is the principle set forth in the New Testament as us, as New Testament people, New Testament church, we should be giving to the Lord, not grudgingly or under compulsion. You, would, you can't say, oh, pastor is trying to convict me to give some money to the church. You know, no, don't give for that reason. If that's the reason you're giving, then you don't give. You should be giving as a form of worshiping God, not under compulsion and not like, oh, I have to do it because, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian or I'm part of a member of the church. No, don't give it. It says God loves what type of giver? A cheerful giver. Just like you cheerfully worship the Lord with your voice and song, we should cheerfully worship the Lord with our finances. You may be saying, well, how much do I give? Well, what, is the, what does it say right here? Each one must do just as he has purpose in his heart. That is between you and the Lord. What God has commanded you to give, whatever that may be, whether it's 10%, 20%, You give it, and you give it faithfully, and you give it cheerfully. That should be the attitude of each and every believer. And again, this is godly advice from the Father, and even to my children, I would say as they're working now, we should be giving back to the Lord a portion of what He's given to us. And to us as a church, again, I say, we should give to the Lord cheerfully. And again, at the end of service, you know, as we leave, I want to say, and I'll, I'll announce again, that there's the, the, the offering boxes in the back. Well, that, that's a time that we're giving now just because of all this social distancing. Don't forget to do that or give online. But give cheerfully, not grudgingly and not out of compulsion and not thinking again that if I give the Lord $100, He's going to give me $1,000. He may, but I'm not going to promise that. I just know as we've faithfully given in our life, uh, my wife and I, God's always provided. We've never, ever been without. I'll tell you when I was without, when I was single and I wasn't giving to the Lord, I was without. I was suffering harshly as a single man because I, I, I know I wasn't faithful in giving. Anyways, that's just own, my own personal story. Okay, the last bit of advice here. The last bit of advice is found in verses 11 through 12. And it's this, accept the correction of the Lord. Accept the correction of the Lord. Look at what Solomon says. He says, my son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father, the son in whom he delights. So what's he saying here? He's saying, don't reject, don't refuse When you're being disciplined by the Lord, don't look at it with dread. Don't loathe it. Like, hate it. God doesn't discipline His children out of wrath. right? He's not disciplining us because He's mean and He's evil and He hates us. No. He corrects us and, and actually says He disciplines us. What is discipline? Discipline is instruction and correction. He's correcting a behavior. God sees something in us, and He wants to correct it, so He disciplines us. Right? This is what we tell our children, right? I'm not, not, being, you know, I'm not disciplining because I don't love you. I'm disciplining because I love you, and it's good for you. Right? Kids, we don't want to hear that. Like, you are not love us, and that's why you're disciplining us. No, that's not it. 
That's what we think. No, we're disciplining you because we love you, because we don't want you to make that mistake again. And that's exactly what Solomon is telling his son here. He says, for whom the Lord loves, he reproves. So how does he suggest that we follow this advice? He's saying, accept it. Accept the Lord's discipline. And even welcome it. Welcome it because he's correcting a bad behavior in our life. And what are those results? Well, we know that if the Lord's disciplining us, it's because he loves us. Right? Just like a parent. We discipline our children because we love them. If we didn't love our children, we would just let them do whatever they want and never discipline. You don't have to go to bed. You don't have to brush your teeth. You can go out with whoever you want to go out with. You can do whatever you want to do because I don't care. That's what our parents would be telling us if we did that. But because we care, you're going to brush your teeth. You're going to go to bed at a certain time. You're not going to hang out with certain people and you're not going to be allowed to do certain things because we love you. Amen, parents. Amen. Amen, kids. <laughs> Don't loathe it or reject it. Accept it because the Lord loves you. And we know that we are his children because he do that, does this. We don't, as parents, we don't discipline other people's children. We might want to, but we don't, right? We discipline our own children. That's not my child. They're not my responsibility. I'm not going to discipline them. God doesn't discipline those who are not his. So if you're suffering the discipline of the Lord, of the discipline of the Lord, be happy about it because that means he loves you and you are his child. And so those are the six points of advice. Again, real quickly, this heavenly and fatherly advice that comes down from heaven again is this. Live out the commandments of God with your entire being. Be kind and faithful in your life. Trust in the Lord with your entire being. Fear the Lord. Worship the Lord with your resources and accept the correction of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, this morning, those of us who are your children, we are thankful that you love us. We are thankful that you've called us to be your children. And I pray that we would heed each and every bit of this advice in our own lives. That as we walk the road of this life and as we sail the, the, the treacherous seas of life, that you would be our compass and that we would take heed to your warnings, that we would follow you with all of our heart. Help us to do that through the power of your Holy Spirit. And this morning, Lord, for those who are maybe like, well, I don't know if I'm really a child of God and I want to be. I want to heed these lessons for my own life. I want to get back on track. I want to get off the rocks that I've crashed into. I pray this morning, Lord, that in their heart that they would cry out to you, that they would not lean on their own understanding for salvation, but understand that they need you, that they cannot save themselves in this life or in the next without trusting in the salvation of your Son and what he's done for them on the cross. I pray, Lord God, that they would cry out to you this morning. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us in today's study. If you'd like to know more about us or where you can attend one of our services, you can find information online at www.ren.church. That's R-E-N 
www.thepeopleofgod.church. Thanks for listening.